We good? All right. Hey, I want to welcome you to Church Online. Thank you for being here. Uh, I left my mic pack in the other room, so I'm going to start here until Heather brings it to me, and then we'll finish over there. Um, as we engage with Church Online and Church in Person, I want to thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day to celebrate, and uh, I am just forever grateful that we have these opportunities to connect with each other online and in person at the same time, because we just we believe that a church is a group of people committed to growing together in the same direction. And uh, we can do that online, in person, midweek, or on Sunday. That'd be great. Yeah, I just need the pack. All right. Okay, now, Sarah, follow me over to there. Here we go. All right. Um, God's plans are in human hands. Don't you remember that? God's plans are in human hands. And sometimes when we take the plans that God puts in human hands and we try to impose our plans over God's plans, then we get into trouble. And I would say that's a good way to define uh, the problem that we can have in this world today as we continue in our money series and we're talking today about debt. Uh, the title of the sermon today is Debt, Love, and War. Um, <laughs> The idea is just this framework that we laid last week about finances and that in the beginning God created man and in this creation of man, uh, God gave man an opportunity to live in the freedom of life and man chose to live in the freedom of the knowledge of good and evil or judgment. And there we have these two battles that begin. This battle of the kingdom of God and this battle of the kingdom of the world. And God says that his design for mankind is that we would be the ones that are fruitful and we multiply and we bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That's the paradigm that we're in. And when we talk about all the things that we do to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven... Financial stewardship is just another one of those things. Jesus talks about this a lot. He talks about it 25% of his teaching. The Proverbs talk about this a lot. Old Testament Proverbs, New Testament Jesus teaching. You cover everything you're getting to know about a spiritual posture towards finances that is both life-giving and honoring to God. In our story, my story, uh, we, were, we were caught up in um, the financial crisis of 2007-2008 that I didn't realize we were so caught up in it until we looked back. And uh, we, we, we were in this position where we were moving from Washington to Oregon to transition careers from IT to ministry. And we had decided that we, not only were we gonna sell our house, but before we sold it, we were gonna renovate it to take it up to the next level of what we could get for it. Like if we got, you know, what was trendy at those times were marble countertops. So if we got the marble countertops and we got new appliances um, and we updated this and updated that, then we could almost increase what we were asking it by a couple hundred thousand dollars and it would be a $35,000 investment. So we decided to do it. In that construction time is the exact time that the housing crisis just um, around that same time was also a stock market crisis. All of our wealth that we had accumulated was wrapped up in the value of our home and the stock market. 
in that season in our life, as I look back, we have such beautiful memories of joy and laughter and happiness and adventure. If you ask my kids, what was, our favorite, what was your favorite Christmas? It wasn't the Christmas when they all got new motorcycles for Christmas. It was the Christmas that we stayed home and because all of our things were in storage that our Christmas ornaments was fruit and popcorn that we put on thread and needle. And uh, it was just, it's such a beautiful, sweet time. Because the foundation of our hope and our happiness wasn't anchored in our financial picture. And I, and I didn't realize it hit so hard until I look back at it and go, wow. A friend of mine who's uh, same age as me, we were business partners, we did a lot of different businesses together, and we had kind of hoped and dreamed we were going to do business together for the rest of our life. He just bought his retirement home. He's my age. And it's this beautiful home in this vineyard in California. And... Uh, I look at that and go, oh, okay, we went a different direction. And I don't regret it a bit. I don't, and, and, and I share that not to be boastful, but just to share that there is a life of freedom and joy that the world can't take. There is a life of, of security and safety that has nothing to do with financial markets. And when we live in that freedom, in God's kingdom here on earth, there is such joy and purpose and meaning in life that can't be shaken. Because all those things that we put our hope in in this world are so temporary. They're so f- frail. And so let's, my hope in teaching this whole series is to invite us all into a life of that rooting and anchoring in something that cannot be taken. And that is in Jesus Christ and in the purpose that he gives us. And if we view it the way God views it, our role on earth is to do more than just stay out of debt. But for so long in the Christian church, at least from my perspective, the narrative has been to be a good Christian financial steward. It means that you stay out of debt because debt is evil and you tithe to your church. That's the extent of financial advice that I remember receiving from the church. And, and not to say the church's job is to give financial advice, but, but I think there is something in the scripture that is way deeper and more powerful that, that we as a church need to be articulating and sharing. And just a caveat, some of this of what I'm going to share today is Mike's advice. And just like Paul did in some of his writings, he writes this caveat where he says, I, Paul, am speaking now. And, and some of this is, I, Mike, am speaking now, just from my experience. Uh, so uh, you may have a different perspective and different experience and different ideas. But uh, I just wanted to share with you, when we did a survey and talked to people about what is it that would be helpful in this financial series, one of the things that was, that was said was very practical, tangible advice. And I'm not a financial expert, so I'm not going to go down that road. But I can share some values and principles that I believe is all throughout Scripture that is really good advice that we can pull out and and find life and freedom in. We all have debt stories. These stories that we've learned from. Uh, As we were going through all this, uh, I was just reminded of some of the decisions that we made as a young couple and, you know... uh, buying things on credit and having credit cards and then living a lifestyle and learning that, oh, I can't afford this lifestyle because now that I've done this for a year, I have all this credit card debt. Um, these, uh, just learning and figuring that out. Dave Ramsey is a financial guru and 
Uh, he's got some good advice, uh, but uh, he calls those types of things um, a stupid tax, right? So we, we, learn, we pay a tax for making mistakes. Good way to look at life. Um, there are certain things that you do, you just pay a tax for and you move on. But when we look at, specifically look at debt, you may be in one of these bad financial decisions that you've made right now. And, and here's what I want to say before we get too far. Online, in person, listen to me now. If you are in a bad financial uh, position because of a bad decision you've made, the answer is not to live in guilt and shame and hide and feel condemned. The answer is to move forward and treat it just like it's a project because your debt is not your identity. And if we take our debt, we claim it as our identity, we take our financial position and we put it on as our identity, we feel empty and, and, and we feel guilty and shameful if that identity isn't perfect. We can make mistakes and still be whole in the Lord. We can make mistakes and still be used for the kingdom of God. So the guilt and shame that comes with debt, let's crucify that first off in the name of Jesus. Let's just say that has no place in me, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've made mistakes. You're going to have to pay the interest on it anyway. Just treat it like a project to get it done. And get out of debt because it's not healthy financially, but it doesn't define you. It's not who you are. I never, ever, ever want anyone to interpret anything I say as condemnation. And this is something that's so raw to so many of us. It's so easy to hear as condemnation. Because in today's society, more than ever, it seems like debt is the way of life. The, the path to owning a home is a mortgage. The path for getting a, a degree or preparing yourself for a career in most of society is student loans. And for some people, the, the path to being able to get to work or get to school is a car loan. And it's the society is going more and more and more towards being a debt-based economy. And within the church, there's been these two narratives of finances. And I would argue that they're the exact same point, just on different sides. The goal seems to be zero. If the goal is zero, right? I read an article last week that said um, being debt-free is the new goal. Uh, as if you've accomplished something and you've arrived at zero. And, and what happens is you get two ways to navigate to stay at zero, and I would say they're the, same, they're the same strategy. One is you work and you save your money and you, you save money so when you want to go on vacation, you spend your money and then you get back to zero. And then you save your money again and maybe you save a little more for an emergency fund and then emergency happens because it always does. And then you spend it and you're back to zero. And then you save again and then you're back to zero when something comes up. And that seems to be the cycle and the goal of life. And the goal is to save enough to where when you retire, you can spend it and when you die, you end up at zero. Like zero seems to be the goal. The other way is you just move it one degree to, to the side a little bit. And let's say you start off and you decide to start off with debt. So you work and you trade your time just like the other way. You trade your time working for someone to get a paycheck just like you would the other way. But you start off with debt and you end up going in the negative. But then you work and you trade your time for money and then your money and then you pay off your debt and you get to zero. And then 
something happens and you use debt to pay for that and then you do the same thing and you get to zero and then, and then you want to go on a vacation and maybe you use debt to do that and, and you go back to zero. I would argue like the only difference between those two is the timing because the goal seems to always be zero. And we're in this paradigm of just binary one-for-one one thinking about money. And I, I think this isn't helpful because we were created to be fruitful and multiply. We're going to look at two parables today and say, what does Jesus say in his direct teaching? What does he say about this mindset and what uh, that we get to have, this freedom we get to have when it comes to finances? And I hope for you it's as life-giving as it is for me and kind of awesome and scary at the same time. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and that you have given us very practical and tangible advice. And I pray that we would see your truth in these teachings. These can be confusing teachings. And I just pray that your spirit would help each one of us see the truth in what you're saying here. And we'd be transformed by a new revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this money series, one of the guiding principles that we put together or that we're anchoring in is Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's what we all want. We all have some wealth that we're responsible for stewarding, and we want to honor the Lord with it. And I would say this, this is the desire of all of our hearts. There are four main principles that's going to guide us through the rest of the series. One is this, God owns and we manage. That's a starting point. We don't own anything. We're temporary. God's eternal. We manage things either for our glory or for God's glory. That's, that's a very binary decision, every decision we make. The second thing is wealth is a tool to be leveraged for good. Wealth isn't a tool to be leveraged for our comfort and our peace, but it's to be leveraged for God's good, which we'll get to what that means as far as comfort and peace. The third point is that um, blessed people bless people. One of the reasons that uh, the Jews wanted to be restored and their kingdom to be restored, it wasn't all selfish, is that they, they knew that they were God's people that were called to bless the nations. And they needed, they wanted that mantle to be God's people that blessed people. It's built into their faith. And the fourth point is this, that we trust God and not money. Debt, love, and war. We're going to be asking some big questions about debt today. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. Uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. And this is one of the most debated and discussed parables in the Bible. There's often times when I first read it and I go, man, I wish that wasn't in there because it just throws a whole curveball in this whole binary teaching that, you know, debt is bad and savings is good. And now you have this whole curveball that Jesus shows by telling this parable of the shrewd manager. Your version in the title may say dishonest manager, but as uh, you just realize that when Jesus was teaching this on the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount, he taught the same principle. Uh, he didn't pause and say, now I'll be teaching on the parable of the shrewd manager. That was added later. And so uh, this idea that, that there was a manager who did something that was shrewd. And we're going to look at the text to tell us what that was and what it means. Let's start at verse 1 in chapter 16. 
And uh, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, what, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in, your account, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to them, take out your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Cut it in half. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take out your bill and write 80. Now, the implication in this is like, since they're differing amounts, it's, it's like, okay, how much could you afford to pay right now? We'll just settle it. 50, 50, okay, write down 50. And this one, 80, okay, write down 80, right? He, he quickly settled these accounts. And he said to another, how much do you owe? Oh, and then verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Okay, that is a curveball, right? That is like, we weren't expecting that. We were expecting more condemnation for being more sneaky, right? But why is this there? What is the point? Let's look at the rest. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest with much. If you then have not been faithful in the righteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Does anyone else read that and go, what did that just say? Right? It sounds like this, the, the last part makes sense, but not in the context of the first part. So what, and that, every time I read something like that, I, 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 and every time you come across, just go deeper with it. Um, there's, a, there's a really deep, deep, uh, cultural, historical um, implication in all of this, but I'm just going to pull out one of the points for today. One of them then is just encouragement and this acknowledgement of the wisdom of being shrewd. Because I, I don't think it's very shrewd for the Christian to have a view of finances to, to hit zero as the goal. I don't think that's shrewd. Let me tell you what I mean. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, this other parable that Jesus tells of, of those, who, those who are given different levels of talents. They were given different levels of resources, right? They're all given the same resources, just different quantities. And we don't know specifics about what this was. And it's, it, this is a parable. This isn't a, a story about a real person. This is a parable to prove a point. So there's different levels of talents given to different people. One person is given five talents, and what he does is he immediately invests it and doubles it and brings back ten to the master. Another person is given two talents, and he immediately doubles it and brings it back to the master by using it. And then there's one who's called wicked, who takes the one talent, and he buries it. Because why? His goal is zero. He's afraid to lose it, 
and he doesn't believe in the paradigm that is assumed here that he is submissive to the master to multiply. Because he even says to the master, like, you weren't there. You're not the one doing it. It's not your role to tell me what to do. He just denied that his role in the world is to multiply what the master had given him. And he's the one that was called wicked. If we just have a posture towards our wealth that we're just to, to bury it and not lose it and not go into debt, we're missing out on this whole call of God to use the resources of God's kingdom or of this earth for God's kingdom. And if you're like me, and I hope all of you are, there's nothing you want more in the world than the world to know the love of Jesus. I want my neighbors, I want my friends, I want my family to know that when we receive the love of Jesus, our world is changed. That God is, is breathing life into our spirit and a life that can't be shaken when the world falls. When the next financial crisis hits, are you gonna be crushed? I had friends and coworkers that went through the same crisis we did and, and, and I saw divorce and alcoholism and turning to drugs because the foundation of their hope was their finances. And, and I see all the time people living without a purpose other than their own comfort or achievement or accomplishment. And, and the emptiness in that, I know it just aches. And I long for people to be transformed by the love of Jesus. So when I look in that mindset, when I look at my finances, I go, how can I steward this and leverage this for God's kingdom? And I think the word here is leverage. Leverage to multiply. And if our goal is always zero, we've taken the legalistic teachings and made it our God. Stay out of debt. Tie it to your church. And I think that's a travesty. I think it, it kind of removes us from this call to be stewards of God's talents. What is it? What is it about debt? Is there a, is there a, a greater call? The, the Bible's clear about one type of debt. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it's very clear. Owe your brother nothing, or owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. It doesn't say the one who doesn't have any credit card debt has fulfilled the law. It doesn't say the one who has a good retirement account has fulfilled the law. Now, you should, credit card debt's worse for you than no credit card debt, and having a good retirement account is very wise. Right? There's wisdom in all of that. But where's your heart resting? Where's your trust? And what is your purpose? And I love the, the connection with debt and love, the owe love. It, because when you walk around with a debt and you're carrying a debt, it, it's, you're, it's the first thing your heart goes to that you want to pay off. Like there's a debt and it weighs on you like a burden. And we all walk around with some debt 
that weighs on us like a burden. And when we get our paycheck, we pay our debt. When God provides, we pay our debt. God has provided love to you, and we owe a debt to one another to love one another. And there's nothing I desire more in the world than to see a world transformed by the love of Jesus. It's why we preach. It's why we come on Sunday and serve. It's why our singers sing. It's why our givers give. It's why our cleaners clean. It's why our camera operates camera operators. It's, it's why we do what we do. Because the love of Jesus has transformed our hearts and we long to see that happen in the world around us. In this verse in Romans chapter 13, the whole context of this passage, and this one verse seems a little out of context, where he says, uh, uh, Oh, your fellow man, nothing but love. The context of all of this, Romans 13, and, and we've read this a lot this year, these last couple of years, because it talks about submitting to the authority that God has set over you. But the whole context of this is there is a government and a societal system that exists. It is there we live in it. And when it comes to finances, our government societal system that exists is things like if we're going to get a house, we typically have to get a mortgage. So there's debt that exists, right? And in that context, let's not let our, our heart and our identity be defined by our financial debt. Let's let our heart and our compulsion be driven by our debt of love for one another. Because those frameworks exist, let's operate in those with a debt of love towards one another that heart posture of a debt of love. And that seems to be the crowning statement of Romans chapter 13. Now, I want to get really practical here because as we looked at this and we pulled some people and thought, okay, and asked, like, what is it, what is it that uh, would be helpful to hear in a series about finances and debt specifically? One question was, is debt a sin? Is debt a sin? Well, I think of it like this. Uh, it's like asking the question, is eating Captain Crunch for breakfast a sin? Um, no. I wouldn't recommend it as a strategy for nutrition. <laughs> or your mouth will be chewed up like you ate razor blades. That's the tax that we pay for eating Captain Crunch. And sometimes it's worth paying the tax. Especially <laughs> Crunch Berries. Crunch Berries... You pay a fee, but it's worth it. <clears throat> but I see, and I'm going to be very um, nuanced about this because I believe the answer is nuanced. Uh, is there good, there's good debt and bad debt, but there's bad debt that could be good and good debt that could be bad. Does that provide clarity? <laughs> yeah. But the, the type of good debt that could be bad is... Um, so good debt would be, like I said, like mortgage debt. And I, was, and I use the term good loosely because if you can pay cash or something, it's usually better to do that. But uh, good debt would be a mortgage to buy your home. And that is something, an investment. I know we view our home as an investment for generations to come. We want to have something to, to, to be a source of, of resources to care for us as we get older and also uh, to pass on. For generations. And that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. Proverbs talks about that. About the beauty of a family that leaves something for generations to come. That's good debt. Because it has a good godly purpose that advances his kingdom. Other good debt could be student debt. 
If you have student loans, that could be good debt. If you invest in yourself, Dave Ramsey says the best type, the best resource you have for investment is your income. And if you are investing in yourself so you can have an income, that's good. And if you can align that with something that is your passion, that you're excited about, that you love to do with your life, you've just reached that next level of stewardship where there's joy and peace and provision. Student debt can be good. And some debt that uh, I could say isn't bad would be medical debt. A lot of people are carrying medical debt. Um, bad debt that could be good. Credit cards generally are bad debt. Um, for some people, it's like playing with fire because you may not have the maturity and self-control and discipline that something like instant gratification for whatever you want <laughs> uh, can get you. And you should avoid, you should be very self-aware and avoid having credit cards. Like, that's good, that's bad. Um, luxuries above and beyond your means. Keeping up with the Joneses, portraying an image that isn't really the way God has gifted you. I, I believe that God designs and tells us what he uh, has provided or the way he wants us to live by the way he's provided for us. So there's hope and, and life in, in living within our means. We really get to enjoy that. Um, and then mistaking, and, and it's not even mistaking. I think it's intentionally deceiving ourselves to call wants, needs, and need wants. Um, we all do that. The, the question of whether or not it's a sin, I've wrapped this in what we said about Romans 13. The, 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 the thing about our debt system and financial system that I think is a sin that's a question for the predatory lenders, the politicians, and the business people of the world. They're the ones that are going to have to account for whether or not the way mortgages are calculated is a sin. We're called to live in, in, in the framework that we're in, in a way where God is glorified and his kingdom comes. And, and if, you, if you overlay that in human history, God has been on the throne through monarchies and communist regimes and, and capitalist societies and socialist empires and... God has been on the throne and called Christians to live with integrity through all of that, right? So whether or not it's a sin, that is a question for corrupt politicians. And Because uh, I would look at the way some of the terms and some of the things are structured and the way our mortgage system is structured, the fact that we even have medical debt, the, the ridiculous cost of education right now to the fact where we have to do student loans. Like That is all a sin at a level of the societal movements. Bible talks about these, about how there's uh, principalities in the air. Like these are the evil things that are among us that we navigate. Um, but, but the shrewd manager story tells us that we still have to navigate them, but with integrity, but we still navigate them. And so I don't think it's helpful to say that, that uh, credit card debt's a sin because the interest rate's so high. It may be dumb, But the sin part is the system. You know what I mean? Is that, so we can be set free from that, right? We can make bad mistakes and be forgiven, and, and we all pay a stupid tax. At some point, we make a decision, and, and it's a wrong, but then there's forgiveness and hope and restoration. Some good questions to ask about to, to help discern good and bad financial decisions is this. As you're facing a decision to take out any type of loan or to incur any debt, the question is, whose kingdom is this serving? Is this serving God's kingdom or mine? 
Am I doing this to try to please somebody, to please myself, to, to get, uh, because I don't have a self-control or impulse control? That's a good question to ask. Another one is, is am, I resort, am, am, am I resorting to debt because I'm confusing a want and a need? You could say, I need a car to get to work, which could be a true statement which is very different than I need a Tesla to get to work. Right? You see the difference? <laughs> Here's a big one that I think I, I really am an advocate of. Um, am I too proud to ask for help? Is that why I'm incurring debt? Because I'm too proud to ask for help? There's a beautiful image that we get when the Holy Spirit descends upon the church and the church is in all of its glory in Acts chapter 2. There's this image that we get and this, this testimony of those who have land selling their land to provide for the needs of those who are in struggle. I, it's okay. It's my grandson. It's so awesome. Even at home, every time I talk, he talks back at me. So it's awesome. But am I too proud to ask for help? And I tell you, I have a friend who is very wealthy and when we hit a financial hardship, um, I called him and asked him for help. And he helped me with joy. And he said to me, if I would have known you were struggling and you didn't ask me for help, I would be crushed. So it's okay to ask for help. It takes a strength and a courage to ask for help. And then the, other, the last thing is probably the most important. Before taking on debt, ask, have you really prayed about this? Have you really, prayer does a few things. One, if you need a miracle, you ask God for a miracle because he's the only one that does miracles. And he does, and he will, and he has. Like we have story after story, even our own family where God has provided. And sometimes God says, I want you to know that this is me and not a coincidence. And he provides to the penny. Like he's done that in our life. And you just can't chalk it up to coincidence. <laughs> and it's beautiful. But it also helps you discern, is this a want or a need? Prayer. I love what Randy Elkhorn says. It says, uh, nothing is a good deal if you can't afford it. And on the flip side, just because you can afford it, doesn't mean God wants you to have it. Here's some other practical questions that came up. Um, do I pay off debt before I give to the church? I'll just tell you the decisions that we made before we were in ministry, and we've kind of stuck to that, is uh, this is a very uh, logical question when you're thinking about where to put money, and, and there's different philosophies on this. But for us, giving to the church is such an identity of who uh, what, what for us it means to be faithful and trust in the Lord, uh, we continue to give even when we have debt. And for us, it's like those two things aren't related. Like giving is an act of worship and trust and faith in the Lord. But the byproduct of it is it gets our hearts and minds in line with God and, and we get to take that first step of submitting our finances to the Lord. And, uh, and, and I always think it's interesting is why is that the question? Why, why isn't the question, um, should I 
should I continue to pay my cable bill if I'm in debt? <laughs> should I continue to buy Starbucks every day if I'm in debt? That's not the question, but, but I understand the logic behind it, and it's not a bad question to ask, and I'll just tell you how we answered it when we asked that question. The other one is, should I lend a friend or family member money? In the Bible, there's a parable in the Bible, a story in the Bible, um, that talks about this directly. And basically, it's saying, if you're in a position to loan money to somebody, you're probably also in a position to give it. So if someone asks you for a loan and you're in a position to, can you just give it instead of loan? On the flip side, if you're not in a position to give it, you might not be in a position to loan it. So you can say, no, I'm not in a position to loan it right now. You incurring debt to help someone else is the equivalent of you becoming someone's God. God will provide all our needs. He doesn't need you to go into credit card debt to provide needs. He doesn't need, Jesus already died on the cross. He doesn't need you to do it too, right? So um, some of the advice that I've read and, and lived is uh, just some quick, let's just do kind of bullet here, some quick ways to get out of debt. One, pray. Two, ask for help before you borrow more. Two, uh, three, change your lifestyle so you can quit borrowing. Um, maybe get a side job, a side hustle, side gig, do something to raise extra money. Uh, there's a philosophy that I really like. Uh, Dave Ramsey promotes it. It's called the debt snowball is you take, you take your, your smallest debt and you pay it off and then you add whatever you're paying to that to your next one and it, it really works. It's psychological and how it works. I recommend that and just looking into that. The other thing is having accountability with people. One of the things we don't like to talk about in our world is finances. Uh, it requires a level of transparency and vulnerability. I would say find someone who you trust and tell them your budget or tell them you don't have a budget and you need help making a budget. Like, bring light to it so it's not in the darkness. And the last thing is, if you haven't, start a budget. Right? Just practical tips that um, maybe you, you probably know are good, but let me nudge you. These are really good things to do. Okay, you remember the top four things. God owns, we manage. Wealth is a tool to be leveraged for good. Blessed people, bless people. And trust God, not money. When we transform our hearts into living as if we are God's people for God's purpose, living out God's kingdom to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, as, as is laid out in the creation story, as Jesus teaches over and over again when he starts talking about the letter of the law and he says, there's a spirit of the law behind that that I'm calling you to. To the person who's striving to not murder like, that's, a, that's a, a strange one to use, but, like, I don't know if anyone's walking around going, man, I'm having a hard time not murdering today. Uh, do we have murder support groups, Murderers Anonymous? Like, yeah, I've been, no? Uh, anyway, but we're, he, Jesus is saying, wait, there's a deeper thing there. If your heart posture towards someone is anger and condemnation, you've committed the sin. And so... The idea of finances is the same. There's a deeper thing here. 
in how do you view yourself in the world? Do you believe that God gives us advice for finances to make us wealthy? For our own retirement and comfort? Or do you believe that God gives us advice so we can multiply for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? That is the, the heart posture I'm inviting you to consider. And if you already have that, some of you uh, already have that. And you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration to all of us who are, are constantly striving to live for God's kingdom more than we are for this world. And when you slip into living for the world, remember, Jesus died on the cross so you can be forgiven and restore yourself to right, or be restored to righteousness. So living in this place of Christian guilt and condemnation is not where Jesus wants us to be. He invites us to freedom. And if you are someone who's like, you're, you're generous, you've been a good steward for your life, some of us have more conservative postures towards this attitude. You could have a very conservative posture towards this kingdom mindset, and God will use that. Some people have a more risk-friendly posture towards this. And that's, I believe that's the way God's wired each one of us to be different for different reasons and different purposes. So, so we're not comparing to one another. But we're looking at our, our whole entire financial existence as something that we are responsible to steward for God's kingdom. I believe that God has given us everything for the purpose of loving one another. And extrapolate that, loving one another for generations, to children, to neighbors. It's all about the condition of your heart when you make these decisions. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to pray for God's provision. Uh, we're going to pray for freedom. Not only financial freedom, but freedom from the guilt and shame and fear that comes from being uh, stuck in debt. And... Uh, Remember, our financial position doesn't define us, good or bad. Wealthy people, there's some wealthy people that are bad people, and there's people that are in debt that are good people. It doesn't define you. The fact that you've been forgiven and you're set free through the blood of Jesus is what defines you. And we can all celebrate that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and that you, you don't pull any punches when it comes to finances, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you don't give us wiggle room to justify and to make excuses, that, that it, it is what it is, and we are called to be multipliers of your kingdom. Help us to engage in managing our resources for, in a way that multiplies them, in a way that, that takes five talents and makes it ten, in a way that is honoring to you. Help us not to shrink back in fear and just stick things under the ground, in the ground, and, and uh, help us to engage in this. Help us to seek your ways and your will. Help us not to fall in the trap that says that everything exists so we don't have to feel uh, uh, any uh, unsuredness about the future, but, but that we can take that unsuredness, which in some cases is justified, and we can put that in your hands and find rest and trust in your eternal promises that can't be shaken, that can't be destroyed, that won't rust or rot or mildew or mold. You're a good God and you love us so completely. We just claim this in the name of Jesus. Amen.